0: Hi, welcome to Find My Next Office podcast. My name is Karina Irvin and I'm the founder of Peninsula Commercial Real Estate Group. Each episode, I'm gonna sit down with clients of mine to talk about their experience as an entrepreneur and also learn about their journey in finding their next office. Please enjoy this next episode and thanks so much for listening. So, at the beginning of each episode, we talk about frequently asked questions in commercial real estate. So, for today's episode, I'm going to talk about a base year. So, a base year is a clause found in many full service or modified gross leases. It's not found in triple net leases. And what it is, is it's basically a year that is tied to the actual amount of expenses for property taxes, insurance. And operating expenses, you probably heard it sometimes called CAM, C A M CAM. And this is what it takes to run the property in a specific year, which is why it's called the base year. So, in a base year lease, a base year is selected, and usually it's the year that you sign your lease, so the first year. And the landlord agrees to pay for the CAMs for that base year, and they'll continue to pay it in that level going forward. And then any subsequent years after that, the tenant is responsible for paying its pro rata share of any increases in those camps. So to simplify it, um, let me put it in uh, an example. So for example, if a lease commences in the year 2021, your base year would be 2021. And in that year, the landlord knows that it's going to cost them $10 a foot to run the building, for example. And so let's just say the rent is $30 a foot. So really $10 of that is for your CAMs. And so in 2022, for example, right? So your $10 is your CAMs of that $30 rent. So in 2022, if your CAM charges went down or did not change at all, then the tenant would not be responsible for any additional payment. However, if the CAMs did increase from the $10 let's say to $10 and 25 cents. So then the tenant would be responsible for their pro rata share of that 25 cent increase. So that's it. That's, I know it's a little confusing, but again, take a look at your lease. It explains it there. It's important to know when those are because you are responsible for your pro rata share of those increases in your lease. Thanks for listening. Today, I am so excited to have my friend and my client, Sabrina Pierce, on. Sabrina is one of the founders and the managing partner at Navigator Sales and Marketing. Their company is a boutique food and beverage broker, and they represent specialty, ethnic, organic, and emerging brands. I'll let Sabrina tell you more about her company in a bit, but I want to tell you a little bit about this very accomplished woman. Um, I met Sabrina actually through one of my fellow USC board members, Steve Takeda, and Steve just knew off the bat that we would hit it off and we would be a great connection with each other. Um, We both have the same passion uh, for collaborating and supporting other women entrepreneurs. And I think that is so great that, you know, Sabrina and I share that. Um, Not only is she an accomplished executive and an entrepreneur herself, but she also gives back and is very active in the community. Some of the awards that she's received: Top Women in Grocery, Top 100 Executives Under 50. She's also received the Humanitarian Award for the Food Industry by the California Conference for Equality and Justice, just to name a few. So that's it's quite a accomplishment, quite a resume. So Sabrina, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank
1: you for having me today. And uh, yeah, I started in the food business a long time ago, and. My dad, uh, he always told me it was a great business to get into because people always have to eat. So (laughs) uh, never uh, was more true during COVID, obviously, when, you know, it was probably our biggest year in sales where grocery industry just, uh, you know, took off. So um, I was like, dad, you were absolutely right. But I have been in the business a long time, started out in Chicago, Jewel Osco, working through the stores, the back rooms, produce departments, and then went over to the manufacturing side of working at Frito-Lay in sales and marketing, um, calling on Jewel and, and other retailers. And then coming back to the company that the sister company that owns Jewel Osco, which is Albertsons and uh, working with manufacturers. And so about nine years ago, we, uh, my husband and I uh, left corporate and decided to kind of take all of those relationships that we made over the years and do something for ourselves. And, and we had, you know, I've called on retailers for a long time. I've worked with manufacturers for a long time. And so we are like, Hey, let's put them together. And that's what we really do every day as a broker. But yeah, long, long
0: time selling food. (laughs) I love that journey. And obviously it takes a lot of courage to leave that secure job. You were an executive at these big corporations. Uh, And I love to have our listeners learn from the entrepreneurial journey. So tell us a little bit more about what was that process that thinking, that planning of moving from having that stable corporate job to, to starting your own company?
1: Well, you know, I think it starts with realizing that it's probably not as stable as you think it is. We think it's, you know, it's an income. You've been in a company for so many years, but um, you know, if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, your job will be replaced. You know, you're replaceable in those companies. And so um, we just wanted to build something for ourselves and just take the relationships that we've built and then get a chance, not even just to work, you know, be entrepreneurs ourselves, because we've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And my husband has always been an entrepreneur, but to now help other entrepreneurs. So it was an opportunity for us as kind of a family owned business, helping other family owned businesses see their products, see their family recipes, see their family histories, make it to the shelves of grocery stores. We were so passionate about that. And so um, it's what drives us every day.
0: Yeah. And I love the niche that you guys have had now, when you mentioned kind of seeing the family recipes and these products to the shelf. I know some of these products that you you represent, kind of tell us a little bit more about the process. And I know they're in major shelves and a lot of people probably don't know what the grocery industry is like. So give us a little bit more about that and maybe some background on some of these uh, family recipes that, that, that we might have heard of.
1: Well, I mean, one great one, um, I'll give an example, of is uh, Michelle's syrup. You can find it here in Southern California, for instance, Albertson's, Vaughn's, Pavilions, uh, some Targets, and uh, uh, Ralph's, for instance. But this is a, I think four generations uh, recipe handed down. Her great 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 grandmother was a slave. The, the slave master could not eat the thickness of regular syrup back in the late 1800s. And so they made the slave owner, her mother, her great great grandmother, her name was America. They made her go in and figure out how to lighten up the molasses of the syrup. Well, she passed that recipe down to every daughter in that family. So Michelle Hoskins commercialized it, and she's in about 10,000 stores across the country. She's been in business over 35 years. And if you think about it, she has the story of probably where Aunt Jemima was supposed to be a story of that. She actually has that story. That is her great, great grandmother. And so those are the types of stories or we have a a great brand, um, Ecos, healthy, you know, plant-based laundry detergent and it's family-owned business. And uh, so immigrant from Greece comes over with, you know, $14 in his pocket, has a stay in homeless shelters in Chicago, uh, but he grew up cleaning, not with some chemical. It was actually things out of the backyard. It was plants. It was lemon. It was, you know, things that they had in their yard and he cleaned with. And so he created this company, I think now 54 years ago, and now it's the, one of the largest green cleaning companies in the world. And, um, I think there's an Amazon movie. There's a movie about them actually called The Green Store. We actually uh, streamed it a couple of months ago. Um, but again, it's a family-owned business. It's now one of the still only family-owned green cleaning companies left, and so we get to represent them. And so these, you know, these now have become bigger companies, but that same entrepreneurial spirit that founded those companies is still running those companies and that's who we get to partner with every day and that's that's what we're passionate about because it's like how do we dig in how do we grow our relationships how do we take those great brands and bring them to market and drive distribution for them
0: yeah and you can really hear the passion uh in 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 your storytelling for, for your clients so not only are you obviously a business and a successful business at that but you're an integral part in these in these uh Company success. So kudos to you. Um, so obviously the name of our podcast is find my next office. Can you tell us a little bit about the transition from your first office to your next office, whether that be a home office or, you know, something like that, that our that our listeners can learn from.
1: Well, our first office was our living room. It was like our dining room table. So it was really our dining room. I'll say that was our first office. (laughs) And we, um, we would get products. I mean, early on, we just kind of took any kind of products, and people were like, "Oh, you used to work at Albertsons, so you can probably get my product into Albertsons." And we were like, "Yeah, sure, bring it on. We'll take your product." Not, you know, really. We didn't have a strong vetting system back at the time, in the uh, nine years ago. But um, so, yeah, we'd store samples in our garage. You know, we'd have everything lined up, you know, on the dining room table. The kids were like, what are you guys into now? I mean, that's where it all started. All we needed was a, a computer and Wi-Fi. So um, after that, we we started to partner up with the merchandising company that their company would go into stores and check to make sure the products we were selling were actually on the shelf. They worked for major companies and then they just helped us out when they could, but they had an office and they had one little office extra office. So they allowed us to come in and, and squeeze into that office and they had a conference room and that was really all we wanted, right? Because now we could start to interview and court clients, but tell them, well, we have an office space, you know, we've got a conference room. And so we would bring them into that. And without their help, you know, we wouldn't have gotten, um, to be able to court some of the clients that we actually still have now. And so that was you know, kind of the next move from there.
0: Yeah, that's a beautiful story. More, most, of, most of my guests and most of the entrepreneurs I talk to, small to mid-sized businesses start similarly. Like we all bootstrap, we all start in our home office and we transition, but you're right though, the credibility of having an office and these partners of yours, letting them use the, the address and the space itself really helps the growth. And so now you're in this beautiful office in Anaheim Hills and you're continuing to grow. So I guess here's the question for our listeners who are in that space where now they're ready for the next space, because you're kind of in that move now where do I take on a bigger space because I see myself growing or do I conservatively, you know, try to fit in as long as possible? What is that thought process, you know, as we're going through that now?
1: Well, yeah, that's a juggle. And, you know, I probably text you in the middle of the night. Okay, what about is this spot open and this spot open? Because you know, you have to always plan. And um, it's just like, I got bigger clients when I was able to show I had a conference room. Then I got bigger clients when I was able to show that we actually had our own office that had navigator on it. Then I started to get bigger clients or grow my current clients when I got the office that we have now, because they said, okay, you're, you know, you guys are growing and we can see it. You have to balance when that new client base is coming in so that you're not putting the expense too far in front of the income and kind of striking that balance is very important. So I think it's staying on top of um, like so we love our location right now so for us it's like okay what else is in that building and just staying on top of when is it going to become available and then who's our next client and when is that going to hit and when is this next office going to open up so just staying on top of that and being looped in with someone like you that helps guide us on that is what we need that's how we're going to get to the next spot
0: yeah, I love that advice because there's so many other companies who don't plan ahead and who take more than they need because they they are just kind of their eyes are bigger than their stomach kind of thing and we end up, you know, subleasing the space and they lose a lot of money from that. So I think those are important lessons to to pay attention to. So thank you for sharing that. At the end of each episode, we ask our guests the same three questions. The first one is give us one piece of advice from your whole office space search experience that you think can help someone else. I know I've had a lot of people
1: ask me this question about, you know, well, maybe I should do we work or we should do, you know, some of these, so I don't have to get into a lease or I don't have to do this, but I think our clients these days are looking for stability. They're looking for a place. They know you're going to be there. And so believe in yourself so that you can show clients that you believe in yourself and you believe in them. And so I think the office was so much more important. It was so much more important than just a place to have an office. It meant so much more than that. And I didn't really think about that until, um, you know, clients responded in the way that they did.
0: That's great advice. And it's really like an office space is a home for your business, right? Is what I always tell tell my clients. And I love that advice about the stability because you're right. In these uncertain times, you know, the clients are looking for stability and I never thought about it that way, but that's, that's beautiful. Second question, what is your favorite entrepreneurial book to read? Because as you know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a roller coaster and it's not always uh, easy. So what book uh, have you read that you really like?
1: one is actually the bible is entrepreneurial life whatever goes on if you are rooted and grounded that's the best advice ever is in that book um oddly enough the other one is a book by a friend of mine and it's not necessarily an entrepreneurial book it's um it's called her corner office Uh, no pun intended there, but it was actually a book about going up the corporate ladder in corporate America. But as I grow my business and I start to hire a team, it's not just my husband and I anymore, right? So now we're hiring people. We've got people all over the country. We're growing our company. And so many of the the things that are in that book, it's by Trudy Bourgeois are very applicable to me leading a team now. And it's all about what it takes, especially as a woman of color to get to that corner office. And so all of those tidbits and training that's in that is very important now, even more so now, because I own it. So that corner office is more meaningful to me now than ever. So that would be my book, Her Corner Office
0: by Trudy Bourgeois. Oh, that's so great. I'm going to add that to my list for sure. And then lastly, what is your favorite motivational or inspirational quote to keep you going?
1: So I love uh, studying quotes from Martin Luther King, like you can never go wrong (laughs) But he had a quote, it was, the time is always right to do what is right. That is the quote. We actually started a foundation to give back to women and minority entrepreneurs in the consumer package goods space that probably weren't ready for our brokerage side, but we wanted to train and educate them. And I actually kicked it off with that quote because, we have information and we want to be able to share it with everybody. And so um, so that's when the time is always right to do what is
0: right. Oh, Sabrina, you're such an embodiment of that quote. And I, I personally have benefited from, from you because you're always thinking of everybody, right? You think about me for speaker panels and you think about me for, you know, so you're walking the walk and you're talking the talk. So Thank you. We need more people like you in this world.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, I've enjoyed working with you and
0: thank you for helping me find my office. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for being on my podcast. I'm sure everybody will enjoy this episode.